Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good to see you here. It's nearly the end of the year. It's going to be Christmas next Sabbath. Um, we're all trying to wind down in a world that's doing a good job to wind us up. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. And you can thank me now. I'm, I'm not going to contribute to the topic fatigue of C19 today. Um, hopefully, if you come here to get some respite from that, um, um, I assure you that I'm not going to go down that path today. But I do want to look at a topic that I sensed inspiration to look at for this sermon, as well as something else that I've been um, wrestling with the past few weeks that's related to the lesson. Um, but I've got some scriptures that I want to share with you. Oh, that's going to be my reference point. That's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. Um, but you should be familiar with all those verses. Deuteronomy 6, 29. And in the lesson, I don't know if anyone else has noticed or had an issue reconciling the, the points of those two verses and also in Luke. But one thing I've been considering and contemplating the past few weeks is how do you bring together loving God with all your strength, with all your might, your whole soul, everything you have, but at the same time living your life, managing aspirations um, and other human activities in general. And I, had, I haven't been able to come with an answer that floats. And as Billy Graham used to say when he didn't have an answer, didn't understand a particular topic, he'd say, I don't have any light on the matter. And I hadn't, but I think this week something did reveal itself. <clears throat> um, as an answer to that question, and I'll I'll refer to that a bit later on. But back to the topic. Um, everyone's seeking something. Everywhere you look, you and I, we look at each other and everywhere else, we're all seeking something, aren't we? Some are seeking money, a spouse, a partner, simply a friend or intimacy. Some are seeking fame, success or power, influence, and others are seeking wisdom and meaning. Some are even seeking peace. Others are seeking God, while mostly, I think, are being sought by God. Hopefully here, all of us today are seeking eternal life or seeking to remain on the way in the truth and the way in the life. And I want to share, first of all, some examples of, um, that I found of what people are seeking um, in the world today. This is probably the thing that it's uh, shared across humanity that we're all seeking approval. And we probably wonder, why do we seek approval from others for ideas that we have um, or for what we're going to do? And usually from people we don't even know. We, we sometimes seek ways to validate our ideas and our plans. But mostly I suspect we seek approval to obtain acceptance. And I, if, you can read, if you can read the bottom part, that's a solution to the, to the issue of seeking approval down the bottom. There's some suggestions and advice how to deal with that issue. The next one, with cancer research, all those are headings that I found that are all for 2021. Um, and interestingly enough, um, what's been spoken about in the literature is as a solution to cancer is vaccines as well. But this is a... 
an endeavour that's taken up the time and efforts of governments and private organisations for decades. And they still keep on seeking. And I suppose a lot of us are thankful for that. And hopefully some of us have actually gained out of, out of that research and that seeking. Now this one. So in 2017, I'll, my own opinion is that the, the world, the universe, experienced the biggest financial bubble in its history. And after that, and we're seeing a repeat of that again four years later in, in a currency system that's outside the, the government and the world banking system. And there's millions of people seeking to become overnight millionaires out of this. Um, it's something that takes up the time and the imagination of people 24 hours a day. Every minute someone is selling, buying or being scammed out of some form of cryptocurrency. And what I want to point out with this chap is not how much money he's got, he's worth, but more so how the time and effort he's put into trying to recover his, his lost wealth. He's even employed or got the commitment of NASA to try and if that particular hard drive is found in a rubbish dump that's been, it's been sitting in for eight years, that they will try and recover. And I did a calculation his value was, sometime during November, it reached a value of $675 million. He's got a lot of motivation to be seeking that hard drive. And um, I think if Jesus was trying to modernise his, um, you know, the parables he has <coughs> about seeking his kingdom, he would probably use one of this, guy, this guy's story to, to demonstrate what it's like to seek the kingdom, but perhaps not his own. Happiness. My theory about this is that happiness this is not something you can find by seeking it every day consciously. It's a consequence of good choices and wise choices. Does anyone else have any thoughts or theories about happiness that you want to say out loud? Choice. Yes. It's easy to make a choice not to be happy, isn't it? Why can't the converse be true? Yes. Thank you. I've chosen contentment as something that is far more stable and sustainable. Um, yeah, I think that's all we need to say about that, but I think that graphic demonstrates it pretty good. So these, these poor brothers and sisters, they have been in a situation for years now, and they've left their lives and their home to seek something better, a better way of living. And they took a path that um, was probably bigger than the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. And some of them have found what they're seeking, others haven't. And they're still waiting for that desire to be fulfilled. What about this, this organisation, this place? Who are they? What are they seeking? What are they up to? Who do they allow preach on their rostrum? But I think there's also another group of people who are not consciously aware of nor have any insight into the fact that they are what they are seeking. They're either too busy or don't even think about the way they think or think about this kind of stuff or what motivates them. 
And I don't know all the reasons um, and how many, are people, how many people are in this group, but I know a bit about it concerning myself. Um, and some other, there's a couple of other perspectives I was able to locate about this whole idea of seeking. And from the Eastern mystical and the secular spiritual point of view, they would suggest that everyone is seeking something else and that they're all seeking the same thing, and that is that we're seeking ourselves. They say that deep down embedded within each one of us is the longing to know our true self. And the search continues until the day we realise that what this world has to offer to us is only a band-aid and that the solution is that we need to turn within and we'll find what we're looking for and searching for. Neuroscience has some interesting things, point, point of view as well, um, that suggests that we're all striving for a new job, new meaningful relationships or personal enlightenment. We need to actively want something more in order to live well and we, someone talked about that this morning in the lesson as well in my group. And neuroscience shows that the act of seeking itself rather than the goals that we realise is the key to satisfaction in life. And they, it suggests that there's seven core instincts in the human brain. And these are anger, fear, panic slash grief, maternal care, pleasure or lust, play and seeking. But seeking is the most important. And that all mammals have this seeking system where dopamine and neurotransmitter in the brain, um, it's linked to reward and pleasure and it's also involved in the planning activities um, that we all coordinate. So what I wanted to, I didn't want you to try and get an impression from me that oh, there was a negative connotation or a way to judge some of these um, examples I gave of seeking, but what I wanted to demonstrate is that what each of these examples provide is it, it is very easy to see demonstrated what someone is seeking in their behaviour, their goals, and what they're doing. It's very clear. And that's really to focus on whether or not it's right or wrong or worth, worth their time. It's, I'm not going to focus on that. Um, and my, my own experience is that several years ago, I was confronted with the path that I had placed myself on and what I was seeking and the destination that I was heading on. Does this date mean anything to anyone? First. Not in Australia. Maybe in a prison. Maybe in a prison. Somewhere in a prison, I'm sure there was a lockdown on that date. <laughs> there's, there's nothing significant about this date. You shouldn't be able to give me an answer unless on that day you were married or you had a baby or something or your birthday. Um, I wasn't, no, no. What about this day? No. That's the day after. So from one day to the next, um, a lot of people's lives and a whole, whole country changed. And um, I'm sure you're going to recall um, the event and maybe if you can also recall the impact it had on you. That's what I'm going to refer to a little bit this morning. So that was a 9.1 earthquake that did more than shake up a certain part of the coast of Japan. Um, and these are some of the images that I, I recall and that you possibly also may remember. And I remember um, after the event, 
especially pictures like these and others you probably remember where it was all just floating in the ocean. And one, there was a dog found on a place probably the size of a suburb of, or two or three suburbs of Brisbane. I just, I couldn't stop thinking about this afterwards. Um, for weeks and months afterwards, it was almost unrelenting. I, it was difficult for me to get peace about this issue. And I was thinking about from one day to the next, everyone was there, commerce was happening, people were living their lives, they had plans that they were expecting to be fulfilled. They were looking forward to something. The next day, this is what it looked like. What do you do? What do you do then when all your plans and what you thought was going to be, and in this crisis looks like this, when everything you've invested in, not just financially, but in all other ways, the way you've been living, the truth that you've chosen, and if it's all that's entangled in now this, what do you do? How do you respond? Insurance, that's hardly going to be a solution, isn't it? Even, even if you're very well insured. Um, and if you think that something like this couldn't happen in Australia, which is what we in Australia usually do, hey, we, this, this doesn't happen, that they probably thought the same thing. But in 2015, um, this is being a bit catastrophic, but I think it's relevant. I remember being at home, and I was married by that time, um, there was a bit of a shaking. I was upstairs and my wife said, there's an earthquake happening. And I, I mocked her saying, as if in Brisbane, this doesn't happen. We don't get earthquakes in Brisbane. It's never going to happen. And this from an earthquake expert who comes from a country that's every single day shaking. And I had the audacity to mock her. And I went to the window saying, I'm going to see a truck. And it's just a truck. You know, when a truck goes past, it rumbles the building sometimes. But no, fair enough, it was, there was an earthquake out in Moreton Bay. So it's not that much of a stretch to think that maybe something like this could happen in Brisbane. I'm not suggesting, but um, I was wrong about the earthquake here. So there you go. Anyway, I was back to the topic. I was unable to shake that conviction and restlessness for weeks. And I realised that I'd put myself on a path that was seeking secular profits and acquiring assets that was diverting me from the way, the truth and the life whose destination is Jesus Christ. At the time, I'd, I, was, I started looking back on the months I'd spent on a particular project that I'd been involved with jointly with a friend and counted the cost. And even though it was financially sound and had potential, the emotional, social and the spiritual neglect that it had prompted I decided the cost was too high. And I was really, it actually upset me and agitated me actually to, to see that, to find out where I was, the path that I was on. I eventually sold this asset when I looked into the future and I saw what it was going to take to maintain. Now, I'm not giving financial advice because I probably, I could have done this a whole lot way that was better and wiser from other people or more experienced, but that was the decision I made and the conclusion I made. And this is a point of, I'm only going to focus on one point today, it's the end of the year. But I remember two sermons from Pastor Zeni Vidarchuk that he preached in all the years at Amal Plains. And one was about justification, which gave a very good and clear explanation. The other was about Ellen White has, she talks about three outcomes that preaching in a sermon should do. I can't remember the two, but I've never forgotten one of them. And that is preaching should bring you to a place of decision making where you change direction and do a 180 degree U-turn. 
That's the point of what preaching is. And that's a reason to come to church. Church is a place for U-turns, to change direction. So I won't be telling anyone what to do today, but I will be taking responsibility if I agitate your spirit or upset you or give you reason to realise and draw your attention to maybe there's a direction that you need to change or reconsider the, 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 the destination that you're heading to. As for the action, it's up to you. It's up to you to sermonise for yourself what will be required if it is required. Now, if you think that dispensing of a valuable asset or a, or a spectacular opportunity or forfeiting a plum job or other, whatever activities are a bit extreme, probably it is. But I'm going to remind you that someday, long ago, somebody did say that and tell somebody, someone else to do that. Now, that same question was also asked of another, by another person um, and Jesus didn't respond the same way as he did to the rich young ruler. So there's some hope there for some of us. But it's worth reflecting on the rich young, young ruler for a few moments. You know, when he approached Jesus, I would say that Jesus recognised and saw that he was seeking a dual kingdom. The rich young ruler wanted to maintain everything that he was so attached to and at the same time become a dual citizen in the kingdom that God was offering. But he was so invested in that that he made the choice that he did. And I think this is a problem that I reckon I've been wrestling with with the verse in Deuteronomy I I initially brought up and the other similar um, verses. And I, I suppose the light that I'm referring to is that I've been asking the wrong question. I've been asking it in the wrong way. And I've been asking it in a way that it's impossible to come to an answer or determine an answer. And I suppose to compare it in a way that to try and help other people understand here who aren't in my headspace is that it's like a research team for a tyre manufacturer deciding they're going to improve the driving experience and they're going to take on a square-shaped wheel as a new design question. Hopefully that they're going to, they would be jolted out of the error in the design question during the first test drive. And we can see that the rich young ruler got a serious jolt from Jesus' answer. However, he made a choice where he decided to preserve his current status of what he was already seeking. He had attained and he wished to continue. And I think I got a similar jolt in the past week when the answer was revealed to me after the issue to my question. Was that was the issue, not the fact that I couldn't find an answer. And it's not a complex answer. If we go to Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34. So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So currently I have reason to believe and suspect that um, I've been challenged for the past three to four months by God to see what I'm willing to let go of to let go of control of and let God. I won't get distracted by the details of all this, but I'll say that each time I have let go, 
something different and so far it's been positive has delivered or come my way without me having to be involved in the, in the process or giving a contribution towards. For you, it may not be to sell all or get rid of it all, but someone once did tell someone else to sell it all and give away the profits as well. Each of us can do a personal inventory to determine what or where we need to do a 180-degree U-turn. And that is to turn away from the focus, the activity, the behaviour of whatever it is that we identify that's leading us away from the narrow path, the destination. And I'm gonna, I want to just be clear that it's not about being poor or dispensing all assets of wealth mindlessly. All of us know that there's no way that I could construct an argument from Scripture that poverty and wealth avoidance or evasion is part of God's preferred plan. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So please don't get confused by, by that, that thought. But the rich young Yerula, he, he was actually honest. He conducted a personal inventory. He counted the cost. And there's a pos positive lesson I'm wanting to drum here that we can learn from him and his sad decision. When he rejected the path proposed by Jesus Christ, he, if you recall Jeffrey's sermon two, two weeks ago, one of the points he mentioned was that when you reject the way, the truth, and the life, you're actually rejecting a person. Those three features sum up a person. And that's what the rich young ruler did. He rejected Christ by what Jesus offered him and the invitation he gave. So we can also do the same process. We can role-play it ourselves. You know how fond I am of role-plays, but it's not totally absurd for, for you to do the same process yourself where you take another person who can play the role of Jesus, another witness, and you go through the same questions yourself. And that way you can assess and analyse your answer, and it's a lot more effective when you do it out loud. Because all of us are probably on an unconscious path that we may be not aware of, and why wait for an earthquake like I did to devastate Brisbane before you gain insight? Quickly, some guidelines that I've borrowed from another text, context to prevent us all from falling for some heretical conviction or spiritual recklessness or some moral irresponsibility that could lead about to bring sudden destruction for all of us. And I get all those superlatives from 2 Peter 2.1 and Jeremiah 23, verse 32. These are, these are the six points, quickly. So here's a test to determine if any revelation that you receive is true or false. Does it lead me to Christ and fill me with love for his church? Does it align itself with the clear and complete teachings of the Bible? Does it strengthen my faith and give me an honourable purpose in life? Does it turn me from wrongdoing, promoting righteousness and purity in my life? Can I find wide acceptance and affirmation by reputable men and women of God? And lastly, does it build up the body of Christ and equipping believers for the work of ministry? It's easy to get an idea and to feel, be convicted and get all hot and on fire, but it's also important to have guidelines to, to guide us and, and, and good discipleship. In conclusion, and in the spirit of reflection and soul-searching, I want us to bring your attention to Matthew 15, 29. Now, this is one of those verses that do not attract sermons to be preached on. 
but I want to introduce it to you. I know I've read it in the past, but I haven't noticed, really noticed, um, until this week. And I want to attempt to make it relevant to you. It's one of those in-between verses that doesn't describe much, but reveals much. And Matthew chose to write these words, so they're worthwhile reading. So this is after Jesus left Tyre and Sidon and um, came across the Sea of Galilee. And he climbed a hill and sat down. So I see a smirk or two, but is this meaningful to anyone? Has anyone noticed this verse before and actually read it and did it mean anything to them? No, me too. So it wasn't unusual for him for Jesus for either for solitude or for prayer. And sometimes um, I had a picture there of me in the Tasmanian mountains, but anyway, it's not there. Um, it's, so it, wasn't, it wasn't uncharacteristic of Jesus to get up on a mountain. It was nothing unusual about that, to have a rest. And I, thought, I was thinking about this and wondering, this was a God who came from heaven. There must have been times where he just sat down and just was experiencing what it was like to be human. And maybe this was one of those times before everyone came to be healed, and that's the time when the 4,000 people were healed. But the last time I went up on a mountain and did something similar was in 2018. Um, and I was fortunate enough to go with a really good friend of mine who, who is no longer with us. Um, and it was his, I could see he also was really getting a lot out, out of that experience. And what I've noticed, it has a unique impact on your reflection, your thoughts, and your attitude when you're up on a mountain. Um, and 2018 is too long ago. So what I'd like to suggest to you is that we say we're followers of Jesus, and here's an example to follow. When was the last time you went up onto a hill to sit, to relax, to reflect, and to consider where you're heading? 2021 is drawing to a close. There's an opportunity for the next couple of weeks and it's probably a necessity to, to take that time and to find a hill or a mountain somewhere and to do just the same. Amen.